Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life for Abena podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. For the last two years, we've been journeying through Genesis as a community, delving into the origin stories and histories of our faith. In this series of Genesis, we step into the patriarchal families of Abraham and continue to see how both the promise of God is fulfilled, but also the brokenness of man. Ultimately, we see that even though we are the great promise breakers, he is the great promise keeper. We pray that this message is a blessing. Hey friends, my name is Michael. I'm excited to be with you this morning. We're entering into Genesis part three. We've got some work to do today. And uh, if you've been here across the last two Sundays and you've been like, wow, vision, this has been amazing. I'm inspired. I'm finding my wells and sitting at tables. This is so cool. I can't wait for vision part three. You'll be sorely disappointed. Um, This is not vision part three, but it is our final part of our Genesis series. Two years ago, I really felt God say, Michael, let's preach through Genesis for Lent uh, and let's just do the first 11 chapters. And then the year after that, we continued it. And this is the last year in Genesis. We've uh, probably covered about a third of the 50 books in, in the book of Genesis uh, in 50, 50 or so chapters in that. But um, God's been so faithful to us. So would you join with us as we pray? Gracious God, Lord, I thank You so much we can gather this morning, whether we're online or we're in the room. I pray, Lord, that we would know Your presence. We need to hear Your voice this morning. I thank You that the fullness of all Scripture speaks to us. Not just the easy parts, but the tough parts as well. That Your Word is helpful and useful and important for teaching, for correcting and for shaping our lives. So Holy Spirit, come do what only You can. We make ourselves available to You now. Less of me, more of You. And all God's people said... Amen. If you're new here today, it's such a delight to have you with us. No matter who you are or what you believe or where you're from, you are welcome to be part of our family. I want to I start off with a question. A question for, for you all. It's, just, it's something like this. What does it look like to be blessed? What does it look like to be blessed? Like if you were to look at someone else's life or even look at your own life, how would you know if you're blessed? I'm not on social media except for Pinterest, which is a story for another time. But there's this, there's this phase in social media where people post photos of something happening in their life and then they do a hashtag blessed. It's almost as like this is the image of what it means to be blessed. It's like the guy who takes a selfie in Puerto Rico after going on a world trip. He's like, I'm in Puerto Rico, hashtag blessed. It's like the person who gets a new pair of shoes and their fits looking good and they're like new shoes, blessed. Or maybe it's an engagement, someone gets married and they're blessed. Or, or there's someone's got a great meal or it's that person who like posts that photo that you, no one else wants to hear about it. But when they go from economy and then they get upgraded to business class and like hashtag blessed baby and I'm like that's awesome I pray that happens to me or, or maybe you're one of those you know Instagram influencers that just post a picture of the sunset you're like aren't we just blessed he's like what does being blessed look like see one of the things that's confusing about these images that we see is that it insinuates that to be blessed means that your life must look a certain way that you need to have a certain thing or you need to achieve or your bank account must be full or, or to be blessed is a kind of achievement of our lives. The problem with that is, I want to ask you this question, is it possible to be blessed and be sick? Is it possible to be blessed and be going through a divorce? Is it possible to be blessed and be single? Is it possible to be blessed and be an economy? 
That answer there is no. No, it's not. <laughs> is it possible to be blessed and not have enough money to put food on the table? See, friends, if being blessed is just merely an achievement of our lives, then the majority of this world is not blessed. But I believe that when I read the words of Scripture, that actually to be blessed is more than just an achievement of a pair of shoes that you're wearing right now. It's an identity that we get to wear. That friends, I've come to tell you today that I believe you are blessed. And if you don't feel blessed today, then there's an opportunity for you to be made aware of the reality we're called to live in. I am blessed in the storm. I am blessed in the sickness. I am blessed in the trial and I'm blessed in the hardship. I'm blessed on the mountaintop and it's all the same. Because friends, to be blessed is more than an Instagram photo. It's a reality of the Christian. Do you know that you're blessed today? To understand this, we're going to go to a man who chased the blessings with his life. We talked, sung about him earlier, a guy named Jacob. And we're going to look at how Jacob, Jacob spent his life chasing blessings. But to do that, I need to take you back just two years and give you a quick summation of where we are now. I'm going to try to do this in two minutes flat because we don't have enough time. I'm going to give you the whole book of Genesis up to now in two minutes. Are we ready? Fantastic. Somebody like, please do it longer and we're leaving. All right, two years ago, we began the book of Genesis with Genesis chapter one. We talked about these big questions of why are we all here? We learned of a God who brought order from chaos. Genesis two taught us about the idea that you are made in the image of God. You have value, you have worth, you bear the imprint of His nature. But Genesis three let us know that no matter how good the world was, our selfishness broke the world intrinsically. And from there on in, we saw God try and interact with humanity bringing them back to Him. In Genesis chapter 5 and onwards, we see the story of Noah, of God recreating the world again, hoping if we just press the reset button, humanity would get it right, but we get it wrong. In Genesis chapter 11, we have the Tower of Babel, where God says, go and fill the earth. And instead we build a city and a tower to make a great name for ourselves. And we've been doing that ever since. And then God moves away from using all of humanity to redeem the brokenness of the world to actually a specific family through a man named Abraham. And last year we talked about by faith. That it was by faith that Abraham was a person that God saw and He blessed him. And it was through Abraham's line because he was a man of faith that God began to outwork His redemptive plan of the world. We learn of the God of faith who keeps His promises. We learn of the weakness of faith when Abraham, even though he was promised a child, decided to sleep with someone that was not his wife to produce a child and God said, this is a weak moment of your faith, Abraham. Then we learn how Abraham prayed for people in Sodom and Gomorrah, the prayer of a righteous man who actually prayed for those who would be saved away from God's wrath. And finally, we learn about the confusing story, probably one of the highest sermons I've ever had to preach about why God would ask Abraham to lay down his son's life. And we led into Easter and we pick up the story around there this year. And friends, that was two minutes flat. So you're welcome. And here we are today, and we finished the book of Genesis. Friends, we are in a jet ski cruising along the surface of the barrier reef. That's what we're doing in Genesis. I'd encourage you, we in no way near have even gone deep enough. Go scuba dive. Go find time to learn and read the book of Genesis. We're in the book of Genesis for our Lent Bible reading at the moment. You can find that at www.easter.nu and join with us as we read through Genesis together in preparation for Easter. But today... We're moving to the final part. And this final part I want to call the schemers and the dreamers, or the dreamers and the schemers. We're talking about Jacob and we're talking about Joseph for the next couple of weeks. This man named Jacob was a man who longed a life, longed for a life of blessing. He longed to know what it meant to answer the question, what does it mean to be blessed? And he pursued it with everything that he had. 
We're going to enter into the story of David and Jacob and we're going to look at three scenes, three main parts of his life. We're going to look at the first scene, which talks about the character of God. The second scene, which talks about the character of Jacob. And finally, we're going to finish up talking about why blessings and curses are so important to the story of God. But ultimately, there's one thing I hope you get from this series. Not how not to live. Don't read Genesis to find out how to live your life. There is no good examples of how to live your life really in the book of Genesis. A lot of people fail. But we read the Word of God chiefly for this, that we might find out more about who God is, His character and His nature. Every year I say this quote from A.W. Tozer, that what comes into mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. So as we start today, let me ask you this. When you think of God's character, what do you think? What comes to mind? What comes to mind? Our journey begins in Genesis chapter 25, verse 21. Isaac is the son of Abraham and Isaac is married to a woman named Rebecca. And Rebecca and Isaac are trying to have children for about 20 years. Being barren is, is something that travels along the generational line of the Abrahamic family. And they are so desperate to be married that they come before the Lord God that they've learned from their father, Abraham. And we pick up in Genesis chapter verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. In a moment, we come into the story where Isaac and Rebecca are desperate for children. Rebecca falls pregnant. She has twin twins in her stomach. Now, I, I've never been pregnant. I know it's a shock to many of you. I'm not expecting to ever be pregnant. I know another shock to all of you. So I have no understanding what it must feel like to have two babies jostle inside of your stomach. But I would have pictured that it would be fairly concerning. And, and Rebecca is rightly concerned. She goes, I've been waiting for this child, all these children for so long. What's going on inside of me? And so Rebecca goes and inquires of the Lord. Rebecca and Isaac are going to be Jacob's parents. And one of these children in Rebecca's stomach is Jacob. And she goes and inquires the Lord, says, what's going on? And he responds in this way. He says, the Lord said to her, there are two nations that are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the elder will serve the younger. Now we read that. And maybe some of you know the story of Jacob and you know that Jacob is the younger of the two brothers and Esau is the elder. But we sit there and we're like, okay, that's great. What, what does this actually mean? But in that line is packed so much controversy and we miss it. And we miss it because we've been told a lie. A lie. Hands up if you're the youngest person in this room. Uh, sorry, not the youngest person in this room. Sorry, <laughs> Iona Abrahamson's hand is waving down the back. Iona, testify, sister. You be young at heart. There's this sense, right? If you're the youngest, if you're the youngest person in your family, if you're the youngest of your siblings, right? We've been told a lie in our day and age, right? Where we, I'm the youngest in my family, and I don't know if it's the same for you, but growing up, your older siblings say this: that you're mum and dad's favourite, and you're the most spoiled of all your siblings. And if you're the youngest, you know 100% that is a lie from the pits of hell. What it is, is that we're being compensated for all the bullying that we went through growing up through our life because our elder siblings were so mean to us and mum and dad are like making restituting pay payments to us for the duration of our lives. We're not the favourite. But in our DNA, there's a lie that the youngest child of the family is the favourite. But actually back in those days, it was a completely different culture. The 
youngest was not the favorite. The oldest was the favorite. In fact, it was a cultural custom called primogenitor. And primogenitor was the practice that the oldest child in a family was the heir of the patriarchal responsibility, particularly the oldest male. And the male who was born first would inherit the father's patriarchal title. He would have double the inheritance of all of his siblings. And there would be a sense of power. He was second in command unto his father in the family. There was a sense of status. This was cultural practice, not just in the Hebrew faith, but in all of the world at this time. And God comes along and He says something which to us seems like just a line, but to Rebecca would have been startling. The older shall serve the younger. This is not the way it should be. This would not have been culturally appropriate. It would have shocked Rebecca and Isaac. So we've got to ask the question, what is going on here? Why would God choose the younger child to serve the older? A man named Walter Brueggemann, or the Bruggs, as we've come to know him over the last couple of years, says this, God foreknew what Esau and Jacob would be like and what they would do. He chose the one, hear this, who most reflected his will for the future salvation of humanity. Now, let me explain that. Let me repeat that again. He chose the one who most reflected his will for the future salvation of humanity. Now maybe you're sitting here today and you're gearing yourself up because you're like a soft Calvinist or a hardcore Calvinist and you're like, I can't wait. We're going to Romans 9, 10 and 11, baby. This is going to be so much fun. We're not going there at all. But I do want to say there's an uncomfortable part of this passage that God chose Jacob to continue the line of blessing. And we don't like that all the time. But this isn't about who makes it into heaven and who makes it into hell. That's not what's happening in this story. It's something far greater. God's revealing His character to us. What's actually happening in this story is God chooses Jacob for a reason because in Jacob, it reflects his will for the salvation of humanity. What does that mean? What does that mean? What was it about Jacob that made God want to choose him? Well, maybe if we just go a little bit further in Jacob's life, we find out maybe even though he's younger now, maybe Jacob is like this beast of a man who can like bench 200 pounds and everyone's like, oh my gosh, he's amazing. It's so clear. Let's, let's see what happens next in the story. In verse, uh, in verse 24, it goes on. When the time had come for her to give birth, birth to twin boys, the, the, the twin boys who were in her room, womb, the first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Esau literally means the hairy one. Can you imagine? Hey, honey, what are we going to name our kid? He's pretty hairy. Let's name him Harry. Sounds good. And then the next one, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Jacob means the deceiver. Like, what's going on with these parents? Like, what shall we name this one? Let's name him the deceiver. There's some cruel parents out there. Isaac was six years old and when Becky gave birth to them. In the next verse, it goes on, tells us what they liked. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. While Jacob the younger was content to stay at home among the tents. Now just picture that. Isaac, the elder, he's an apex predator of a male human being. He's like out there and he's shooting stags, lions, bringing them home. He's got so much hair on his body. He's got to shave in the morning. He's got to shave in midday. He's got to shave at nighttime as well. This is who he is. People look at him. He's like, that's one hairy guy. I would follow him into battle because he would be able to win, right? This is Esau, this mighty firstborn inheritor of the promise, right? But then there's Jacob over here, the one that God chooses. And what does it tell us about Jacob? Jacob's in the tent. Jacob's this guy who... Most theologians would use this really important concept that it might be difficult to rub your head around. He was a mother's boy. He loved being at home. 
He didn't want to adventure out. And you know, I can relate to this because between being an apex predator of a human being and also someone that loved to be at home was maybe a little bit sheltered and nerdy as a child, between Esau and Jacob, I'm the Jacob of this story, right? I understand what it's to be like, but there's something so important happening here. Who does God choose? Does He choose the one that culture would be impressed at? Does He choose the one who is upright? Does He choose the one who could provide with meals for His family is clearly the stronger of the two? No, He chooses Jacob. Now, I don't know if God went to school, but when I went to school, we used to do this thing where we'd choose teams. And it was the worst thing. I don't know who invented this, but it was torturous when I was young. Everyone come out and be like, all right, let's pick teams. Jim and Bill, you guys are the captains. And I'd always stand there. It happened every time. Jim and Bill would choose their best friends to be on their team first. And then they would then work through everyone's skill level down to the worst and least skilled person. Now, friends, I have like one skill. I can talk. Beyond that, my ball handling skills is horrible. And so every day at volleyball or basketball, AFL, when we would choose teams, they would get through the whole thing and someone would just land on me because I was the last person like, oh, well, I guess we get handsy. He can come and be a part of our team, right? Now you might think I'm joking. Ask Jason. We used to play AFL when I was the young adults pastor. We used to run a young adults AFL ministry and the people I pastored and prayed for and led would still choose me last on the team, right? I'm like, I'm praying something different for your life, son. Like there's like, it was just me. And so I know what it's like to be Jacob, but this is what we're seeing about God. When God chooses who's going to reflect His will for the salvation of humanity, He doesn't go for the person that culture says looks blessed, that culture says looks good, that culture says has it all together. He goes for the weakling. He goes for the last. He goes for the lost. And culture is concerned by this because they're like, that's not how this plays out. But what Walter Brueggemann is saying here is that this is how I will carry out my salvation plan. Not by people that, make, that are imp- impressive in the world, but by people who are lowly, by people who are outcast, by people who are broken, by people who others look at and say, could God ever use you? And God says, watch me turn tri- tragedy into triumph. Watch me turn brokenness into beauty. Watch me turn what was hopeless into something which is hopeful because that's what I do. This is the character of God, friends. The character of God isn't based on what you bring to the table and then maybe God might choose you. He's looking for people that have nothing to bring at all. This is what we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's almost insulting verse to those of us who are Christians. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring about the things that are to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. There's some of you in this room who think that you're here because you bring something to the table. It's not the story of Christianity. And there are some of you here that are divorced and you're thinking, God's probably written me off. Someone here that's going through marital troubles right now and you're thinking, God, God couldn't use this. Some of you here have been single for just too long. You're like, man, clearly I'm, I'm not one of the in ones. Some of you know what it's like to not be chosen. Here's why I think the story of God choosing Jacob, not Esau, is beautiful. Because God says, I choose the ones that no one chooses. I pursue those who were thought as unpursuable. And is that not good news, friends? The way to the kingdom of God is not on our pride, but on our knees in need. I'm thankful that God chooses those who were chosen last. 
Because that means I get in. I think that means we can all get in. And I think God's been doing it ever since. After this moment, God chooses a woman named Tamar who's been abused and neglected and trialed, her reputation marred. And he chooses her to be one of Jesus Christ's ancestors. It was through her line that Jesus Christ would one day be born. God chooses a pagan woman, an outcast from Jewish society who is a widow, has no one to look after her, a woman named Ruth, to be married to a Jewish man named Boaz, that through Ruth's line would come the person named Jesus. God goes and finds a family filled with warriors and chooses the one son who is not a warrior, but out in the field smelling like sheep, the young boy named David, who no one thought could be a king and says, I don't look at what man looks at, I look at the heart, this man shall be king. God comes in the form of a Nazarene carpenter to which who people would say, could anything good come from Nazareth? And Jesus rolls up his sleeves and say, just watch me work. Friends, maybe someone's ridden you off. That's the exact place where God gets going. Why? Because if we bring anything to the table, then we receive part of the glory. But when we've got nothing to offer, then the glory goes to Jesus. And we're like, well, why does God want all the glory? Because he's the only one that can help the world. That's why. God's character is for the last, the least, and the lost. And that's why what's happening at Asbury right now is beautiful. Asbury in America is experiencing a revival like my generation has never seen. Three weeks ago, they started praying and worshiping God at a chapel. And it was a boring sermon, apparently. The prayer time wasn't that amazing. The worship wasn't even that great. But then they've not been able to stop worshiping for three weeks. People from all over the world are flooding to Asbury right now. And just look here. Look how good their LED screens are. They're not there. How good is that smoke machine and lighting? That's fluoros, friends. I'm pretty sure they don't even have click tracks or in-ears and their band play out of time all the time. I've watched the live stream. It's not that impressive. And God's on the move. In a weird Baptist chapel on a college university. Why? Because he doesn't need productions. He needs a people. I pray new life would never get so lost in all of this that we lose the heart of humility to say, God, use our brokenness for your glory in our time. But then we look at the character of Jacob and he grows up and we must think, well, God chose this man. So maybe, maybe Jacob turns it around. Maybe he becomes like a good guy and his story turns good. Like Jesus, he works out, I'm blessed. That's not the way it works. Jacob grows up to be a man. We learn that the character of Jacob doesn't get better, it gets worse. There's a story where Jacob and Esau grow and there's a moment of sibling rivalry where, where we read on in the next verse. It'll, it'll be on the screen behind me. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau, his elder brother, came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. Here's a man. He's been out there doing manly things. I say manly things because I'm the guy in the tent, right? Like, I don't know what happens out there. Like, it's weird. It's scary for me. But like, he's been out there doing that. Then he comes in and he's, he's hungry and he sees Jacob, his brother, cooking him, cooking food. And he says, Jacob, I'm famished. Can I have some of your food? What does Jacob go? Sure, my brother, I'm compassionate and loving and I'll give you. No, he doesn't do that. He goes, only if you sell me your birthright. In a moment of need, Jacob has a moment to be compassionate. And here's what Jacob, we learn who Jacob is. Who's Jacob? Jacob's a hustler, man. In a moment where he could help someone, he's like, yeah, I'll help you. First of all, something for me. Not just something. You see, here's what Jacob's, Jacob's doing. He's a man. He may have been the lowest, the, the last and the least, but now he's learned to chase the blessing. Not the blessing of God, but the blessing of the world. If he could get Esau, Esau, Esau's birthright, then he can actually ensure he's second in the family. He can ensure he gets double the inheritance. He can ensure he's going to have riches when he grows up. He's going to have a lot of belonging. It's going to be beautiful. And in this moment, Jacob hustles 
Esau, why? For a plate of food. And Esau goes, yeah, what's the birthright to me? I'm close to death. And Jacob's like, no, you swear first. Esau promises him his birthright and he gives him food. And Jacob swindles his brother out with what was rightfully his. I want to highlight two things. Number one, God never told Jacob to do this, ever. This is not God telling Jacob. This is Jacob having something in him that is obsessed with chasing what he sees is blessing in the world. And friends, we do this. We hustle. Well, I don't hustle, Michael. We, we chase the blessing of the world and we do it at the expense and the ignorance of what it might cost. So here's what happens with Jacob. Jacob chases the blessing of the world so much. And when we're, when we're striving, we're pursuing what the world says it looks like to be blessed. Here's what the fruit of our life is. It always curses someone else. It always pushes someone else down. When we're chasing what the world says looks like success, someone else has to lose. And that's what it looks like in Esau's story. And I think this is what happens for us as well. We're like, oh man, this Jacob is a bit of a jerk. I think he's like us. I think so many of us say one day when I get enough money, I'll change my business practices. But for now, I need to do things that are loopholes in the tax department and with the government. And it's not wrong, but you know, and, and, but one day that's hustling. We, we, we talk about people in our relationship circles because we know if we can position ourselves well in the narrative, then maybe the women around us or the guys around us will like us a little bit more. And you know, it, it's not really, that's hustling for status to pursue the blessing of the world. Let me tell you how this plays out for me. I love clothes. I know we're all thankful for that. We should all love clothes. Let's wear them. But there's something where I really enjoy wearing clothes that, that you know, help me look a certain way. And this is what I wear to work every day. And these pants were some of my favorite pants in the world. I'll tell you the brand that they were, and I used to buy them every year. And I found out two years ago that actually these pants are the worst rated in the world for child slavery and sweatshops. And part of me is just like, ah, does it really matter? I think it does. It challenged me. Because I'm due for another pair of pants. Now I'm like, what am I going to do? I want to look a certain way, but at what cost? When we chase the blessing of the world, someone else always is cursed. That's what happens in the story of Jacob. Is that he chases blessing and he's trying to work out why there's just brokenness in his wake. Because here's the problem, friends. We're not called to live for blessing. We're called to live from blessing. From the very beginning of Jacob's life, God has said to Jacob, I've chosen you, but still he tries to wrangle it in his own control. So much so that in the next moment, we find out how the blessing and curse carries on. His mother gets involved as well. As he grows up, his father grows older and his father starts to lose his sight and becomes to actually one day where he's going to, he feels like he's going to die very soon. So his father, probably knowing that Jacob has now got the birthright, wants to give Esau something because he loves Esau. And so he says to his son, now my son, Esau, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so that I can prepare some tasty food for your father, for you. Oh, no, it would be the one earlier in this. Um, but that's okay. I'll tell you how the story goes. It's not the right verse. He, he says to Jake, he says to Esau, go out and catch some wild game, prepare stew for me, Jake, Esau, and I will eat it. And then once I've eaten it, I will bless you. I will bless you. Rebecca, Jacob's mom, hears this and goes, Jacob, your father's gonna bless Esau. So here's what we're going to do. We're gonna dress you up like Esau. We're gonna cook some stew and you're gonna go in and deceive your father that you're actually Esau so you get the blessing instead. 
Now, this is how hairy Esau actually was. They put goat's fur or like sheep fur on his arms too. So like when his father grabs his arms, he's like, ah, oh, that's my hairy son Esau. Can you imagine how hairy Esau must have been? He's like, mm, he feels like a sheep, must be him. And he puts on his clothes. He smells like Esau. And Jacob goes in to Isaac and, and he doesn't sound like Esau, but he smells like Esau. So he's like, hey, dad. And his dad's like, you sound like Jacob, but you smell like Esau. Seems legit. And so Isaac turns around. And blesses Jacob. And Jacob then flees for his life. Why? Because he's been deceitful. He's been manipulative. He's wrangled everything so he gets the blessing, he gets the birthright, and he loses his family because of it. Friends, when we chase the blessing of the world, rather than realizing that we get to operate from the blessing of God, we end up corrupting the world around us and living in a curse that God never called us to. See, what does Jacob think blessing is? Jacob thinks blessing is fame, it's fortune. It's health. It's everything going well in his life. But from this moment on, almost nothing goes well for Jacob. He runs away to his family relative, a guy named Laban. And he goes to marry one of Laban's daughters, this woman that he loves named Rachel. He's like, I can't wait to marry Rachel. But deceit produces deceit. His father-in-law Laban didn't want to marry off Rachel until his older sister Leah was married. So he deceives Jacob, disguises Leah and marries her off until later on the wedding night, he realises he's married the wrong woman and he's angry. But how ironic is that a deceiver is angry at deceit. When we play the ecosystem of the world, we get also deceived and cursed by the world we choose to play in. Because curses produce curses, friends. When we try and strive to live a blessed life at the expense of others, others try and live a blessed life at the expense of us. And it's not the life that we're called to live. What does it mean to be blessed? A guy named Matt Chaplin says it like this. To be blessed, ultimately, blessing is the bestowing of privilege, of right responsibility or favour upon some portion of the creation by God or by one whom He has blessed. This is beautiful. What does it mean to be blessed? Someone bestows favour upon you. But what does that favour look like? When we think of favour, we think of easy access. We think of upgrade from economy to business. Hashtag someone text me after the first service. Nothing wrong with going to business class if that's where you're at. I've just never had it myself, right? But there's, there's nothing wrong with these things, but we think that that's what it looks like to be blessed. But that's not what the Bible says. In fact, when Jesus rocks up in the Sermon of the Mount, He reshuffles all again what it means to be blessed. What does He say? Do you remember? Standing in front of the crowd, he tells people who's going to be blessed in his world. Blessed, he says, is the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who wants that on their resume? This is Michael. He's poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. I guarantee you when you're being persecuted, you don't feel blessed because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. For great is your reward in heaven. Jesus rewrites the narrative. He's saying, friends, blessed is not a circumstance. Blessed is not a circumstance. It's an identity of a people who know no matter how hard this life gets, they are blessed, not because of what they've done or what they've strived for, but because something that's been done for them. 
do you know that you could be sitting beside someone's hospital bed with the person you love dying and you can be blessed? You'd be walking through financial strife right now and you could be blessed. Because we have such a weak understanding of blessing and curses. You know where curse comes from? In Genesis chapter 3, we read a story of two people in the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, who strove to be blessed by the world, so much so that the relationship with God was not enough. What did they do? They decided to strive so much, they ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they might be greater than they were, that they might have a hashtag Instagram will bless life status. And in that moment, they ushered into the world a curse of selfishness that destroyed everything. It rewrote genetic history. Things were broken from that moment on. And ever since then, we've been trying to fight curses by seeking the blessing of the world to make things a better place. But all through the Old Testament, we see people striving to be blessed again, striving to live a better blessed life, but it just isn't strong enough to roll back the curse. And so along comes a carpenter from Nazarene who people mocked, who people ridiculed, who had an uninstagrammable life. And he says, blessed are those who are poor. But not only that, he recognises that we carry a curse we can't get rid of. So what does he do? He goes to a tree that we should have been pinned to. And Jesus dies a death that we should have died. And what does he do in that moment? He takes on the curse of sin upon himself. Why? That you might know the blessing of forgiveness. That you might know the blessing of salvation. That you might know that to be a son and a daughter of God is truly blessed. And he doesn't do it because he wants God's blessing. He does it because he operates from God's blessing. Because at the beginning of his ministry, what does he Father say, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And from that well of blessing, Jesus operates for the rest of His life. Friends, I've got to tell you right now that there is a blessing available to you. It's the affirming identity that God has on offer today. And He loves you. When you know you are blessed, you stop striving for the blessing of the world, which only produces curses in our world. And here's what we do. We live from the blessing of God and we live out our mandate to be a blessing in our world. When we walk into business rooms, we're not asking the question of how can I get, but how can I give? When we're in relationship dynamics, we're not trying to achieve status amongst our friends, but how can I bless those who are around me? How can I be a part of rolling back the curse of selfishness in the world that the blessing of Jesus Christ might be known for? This is what Jacob missed. He doesn't get it until much later in his life when he stops seeking the blessing from the world and finally comes and wrestles with God for a blessing. It changes everything. But right now here today, I've come to tell you two things. Number one, do you know the kind of people that God longs to bless? It's not the apex predators. That's a weird way to describe humanity. I, really, I recognise that. I always think of a shark. Who is it? It's the last. It's the lost. It's the least. God seeks to bless those the world has rejected, those the world has overlooked, those who the world chooses last. God chooses first. Friends, to know the blessing of God, the first thing we've got to admit is how much we don't have and how much we need. Second question I have so are you chasing the blessing or living from the blessing of God's identity from you, for you? You can be in a storm and everything falling apart and you go, God, I am blessed because I have you. Sorry to do this to you, Steph, but Matthew Chaplin finishes the quote when he says this. In relation to humanity, to be blessed is to be one of God's own people with all the benefits that that brings. In other words, the blessing of God is His relational presence in one's life. The greatest blessing you can know it's not money in your bank account. It's the presence of God in your story. He is here. He is with you.
He's beside you. Do you know it today? We are blessed. Eugene Peterson rewrites 1 Corinthians. He rewrites it like this as a way to finish the challenge for us today. He says, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Thanks, Eugene. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chooses these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies that makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're gonna blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. Why? Because He chose you, not because of what you bring to the table, but despite what you bring to the table. Praise God. Praise God. He chose Jacob not because he thought he would become a better man, but because God was waiting for Jacob to surrender his life fully that he would make him the better man only he could. He chooses broken people all the time, friends. The only reason why I'm standing on a platform today is the only reason why half the people are in this room. And I pray today you would know you are blessed, not because of what you bring, but who God is. Do you know you're blessed today? It's on offer right now. Let me pray. Bow your heads with me. Gracious God. We come before you in this moment and we just recognise that so much of our life has been perpetuating the curse. Living in selfishness. Wanting people to look at us and say, aren't they blessed? God, I thank you so much. You set us free from the need for other people to see our lives as blessed. There are daughters in this room right now and you say, you are my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. I've sensed all morning that there's someone here right now that just does not feel blessed. You're a Christian, you're following God, but it's such a long time since you've felt the blessing of God's presence in your life. And you long to know what it means to be blessed again. Whether you're online or in the room, if that's you right now, would you just open your hands up in front of you? Lord Jesus, for those who have their hands open in front of them, I pray right now in the mighty name of Christ, in their situation, in their trial, in their pain, they would know the blessing of the identity you won for them. Holy Spirit, move right now. Breathe again. There are some of you right now who are sitting there going, Michael, I've never known the blessing of God. When I talk about the curse of selfishness, you see it rampant in your life. And God wants to say, you don't have to strive for blessing. He wants to give it to you today. He wants to give you forgiveness, redeem you, turn your tragedy into triumph, your brokenness into beauty. But all it takes is turning towards Him. Say, Jesus, I repent and I turn to You. Friends, if that's you today and you want to respond to Jesus Christ, offer to bless you, forgive you and redeem you today. In this moment right now, would you just raise your hand wherever you are? If you're online, there'll be an option to participate. If that's you, thank you so much for raising your hand. Thank you so much for raising. Just keep your hand raised for a moment longer. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor James is online right now, communicating with those online as you're responding. I just want to pray for you. If you raise your hand today, 
Father, I thank you for those who raised their hand. God, we just we rejoice that you choose us. Because we're all like Jacob. We're broken. But God, you don't choose us because of what we bring. You choose us because of who you are. And in us, you see your marred image that you want to make whole again. So God, redeem and restore right now in the name of Jesus Christ. If you raise your hand today, every Christian in this room is going to pray a prayer with you right now. Just, just love to encourage you. Repeat these words after me and online as well. Repeat these words. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to be free of the curse. I want to know your blessing. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. I turn to you as my Lord, my Saviour, my friend. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, I thank for those. Thank you so much for those who responded right now. May they know the power and the presence of your blessing in their life, that it's an identity we walk in. It's a person we walk with. It's not a status we achieve. That we would operate from it and be a blessing in our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.